Hey everyone, we continue our read through of the New Testament, and today we are in John chapter 3. Perhaps one of the most well-known chapters, if not the most well-known chapter, in the entire New Testament. Maybe rivaled with with, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the the great love chapter. But John 3 is one of the most profound and well-known chapters, and and understandably, uh, we, we can see why that is. Here, John now broadens out. He's given us the first major sign of Jesus at the wedding of Cana, where Jesus turns the water to wine and ushering in of the reality that he has brought in the new covenant, the new wine himself. And Jesus cleansed the temple and made that amazing declaration that he would destroy the temple and build it up in three days, referring to his body, making clear that the eternal temple of God, the house of the Lord, would be grounded and connected and built upon the cornerstone of Jesus himself. That is, to be separated from Jesus is to be separate from the house of God, the temple of God. Now John broadens the story out into three extended scenes, which are found in many ways very different from what you see in the synoptics. In John 3, Jesus engages in a complex conversation with Nicodemus. In chapter 4, it's with the Samaritan woman. And in chapter 5, with a crippled man and the bystanders who witness his healing. And so with that little picture of how John is moving us through this gospel account, uh, let's now look to John 3. And we'll go ahead and uh, we will read through the first eight verses. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. All right, so here Nicodemus, we are told, comes to Jesus by night. And there's a reason for this. Nicodemus is a well-known Pharisee, right? He is a leader uh, among the Jews. And so in many ways, he's kind of cloaking the fact that he is very interested from this Jesus, right? He's very interested in who this Jesus is and what it is that he's teaching. And notice what he says, right? He says, Rabbi, referring to Jesus as teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God's with him. In other words, Nicodemus makes it clear, the Pharisees are, there's no doubt they know that Jesus is a clear teacher who's come from God. That there is something divine, uh, divinely divine about the works that he is doing. And yet, think about the hardness of them to know those realities and to still continue to reject him or not hear him out, as opposed to Nicodemus, who seeks him out in spite of the work he's doing. Right? And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, right? I said to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so here, this 
Jesus is now laying out, right? Notice, Nicodemus never asked this question. Never asked, hey, what are you, what's your main teaching? What's, how do we go to heaven? How do we enter the kingdom of God? But Jesus goes right to it. Before he says anything else, he provides this truth regarding how one enters the kingdom of God through the new birth. You know, Jesus, Nicodemus didn't need to ask anything. Jesus knew what he had come for. He had come to know how to enter the kingdom of God, how to be right. Because this is what the Messiah would bring. The Messiah would bring the kingdom of God. And Jesus is instructing Nicodemus on how one is to enter it, namely the new birth. Now, this translation, right, new birth, could also be translated born from above, right? And it accords well with the discussion of earthly and heavenly things. But the meaning of this verb is very clear, right? Nicodemus thinks that this means like literal physical birth, right? How can I be born again, right? Do, do I have to enter into my mother? How is that possible, right? But the new birth here, right, is a picture that it is a birth from above. And that's what Jesus makes clear, right? Jesus makes clear here that this birth can only come through the work of the Spirit, Period. Now, when it says that these who must be born of water and of spirit, now there are some who have argued that that water is referring to baptism, right? And it's possible, but I, I don't think that is a meaningful one, right? Others see it as a reference to, to, to John's baptism, which is a baptism of repentance, right? So the, the water is a picture of repentance for salvation. But I think that when you look at the Old Testament passages, water and spirit are actually linked to express the pouring out of God's spirit in the end times, the, the messianic age. So Isaiah 32, 15, Isaiah 44, 3, Ezekiel 36, right? So all of this is a picture of the spirit's washing and renewing power that would come with the messianic age. And so that's what Jesus means by unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And verses 6 through 8 here are so important because he talks about that which is born of flesh is not the same as that which is born of the Spirit, right? And that which comes from the birth of the Spirit is something that the Spirit alone can do. We don't even know how it happens. God is the one who actively produces that in us. This passage emphasizes the priority and sovereignty of God in the work of salvation. And it doesn't exclude the reality of human response and repentance and faith. It merely says that the, the prior agent necessary for repentance and faith to happen is for God to actively work in the heart, bringing about a regeneration, a new birth that then leads to new life. And new life is pictured in repentance and faith. Right? Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not know these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No, no one has ascended into heaven except he, he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. So we'll stop there for now. Right? The Jewish world knew of the importance of being born into Abraham's family. And Jesus has radically changed this notion that kingdom entrance is not based upon physical birth, but spiritual birth. And then he demonstrates the reality of what this spiritual birth brings into being. Namely, belief. Belief that he is the Son of God. For just as Moses had lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and everyone looked upon him and was protected from the bite of the serpent, so too everyone who looks upon the Son for salvation, though the bite of the serpent, sin, and the wages of sin, death, have no effect upon them anymore. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the grand theme of John's Gospel. That God so loved that He gave. He gave His only Son. And He gave His only Son to die and to lift Him up upon the cross so that everyone who looked upon Him in belief would be saved. And it is that picture of looking upon the Son and believing that shows that we indeed have been born again. Because the rest of the world hates Jesus. It rejects Him. It spits upon Him. Why? Because it loves darkness. Its heart remains the same. It needs new birth. And that's exactly what Jesus has brought. He has brought the Holy Spirit which he pours into his believers that they might behold upon him and believe him and know the love of the Father and the power of the Spirit in beholding the Son in all of his glory and all of his salvation. What an incredible offer to the world. The offer that stands as we look to the crucified and risen Christ and say that He in Him has found the pinnacle of God's love, God's mercy, and God's justice. Oh, may we believe and receive eternal life. For whoever believes in Him has eternal life, but whoever doesn't believe in Him is already condemned. They've all, they're already under the judgment of God because it demonstrates that they love darkness rather than light. So let us pray that God would open the eyes of so many that they might behold the light and turn to the Christ who alone can save them. Verse 22 to the end of the chapter. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, 
He who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The one, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So there are three sections here in this closing portion of chapter 3. In verse 22 through 24, we are told that Jesus and his disciples went into Judea where John was, right? In verse 25 through 30, we see that John the Baptist affirms once more that his entire role is to prepare for Christ. And then in verses 31 through 36, we see a continuation of John the Baptist's teaching uh, on the nature of which all salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. Now, what we see here is so important, right? They, the, the disciples and Jesus have gone out and they are there baptizing people as they are coming, right? And in many ways, this still seems to be much of a baptism of repentance, but perhaps also we start seeing the origins and foundations of a new kind of baptism that is being brought into the fold here. We're starting to see this transition from John's baptism into Christian baptism, right? As opposed to where one is just merely an outward ceremonial picture of cleansing and washing for preparation. Uh, one is now a new celebration of, of being born again, of, of being raised to life in Christ and being cleansed and washed anew by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so perhaps already we're starting to see a transition from the preparatory baptism, the baptism of preparation, to the baptism of the new covenant, right? And already within this uh, picture, starting to begin happening over that. And we see here that John is thrilled by the reality of the Messiah's coming. And he's just wanting to once again tell people, John the Baptist is making clear, I'm not the Christ. I told you I was never the Christ. I was the one who got to be sent before him. I am so glad, right? I'm rejoicing. I'm the friend of the bridegroom, and I am rejoicing at his voice. I'm rejoicing at the reality that he has come. And because I hear his voice, and I see his teaching, and I see his work, my joy is now complete. And he must increase, but I must decrease. Talk about one of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture. And may that be the heart of all of us. May we never seek to exalt ourselves. May we seek to be nothing more but messengers of Christ, that we in our pride and our arrogance and our strengths may seek to decrease, all for the purpose that Christ through us might increase. That is the goal. Lord, you increase through me so that I might decrease in you. I want the world to see you through 
me. Let them see Jesus. That's that's the heart. I, I want less of me and more of him. Is that your heart today? I, I hope so. I hope your heart is less of me, more of him, more of Jesus. Because whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains. So what's the key picture? How can you know? Are you born again? Do you see, behold, and believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ? And is that faith seen through a life of obedience that says, Lord, I want to go after you, live for you, so that I can decrease and you increase in me and through me, that your light might be made known to the world as I am conformed more into your image by the power of the Spirit for the sake of living for you in all things. This is the fruit of being born again, a life that has radically died to self and lives totally for Christ. God bless.